You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine. I'm Janine Strong, and today I'm excited to have Dr. Stephanie Seneff as my guest. She's become kind of a regular as this is our sixth conversation, and I always look forward to reconnecting with her. Stephanie has a new book coming out called, get ready for this, Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. So we're going to be talking about that and also how glyphosate and this so-called virus, uh, this pandemic, plandemic, uh, how it's all interconnected from her perspective and her research. Once again, it's an honor to have Dr. Seneff share her knowledge and wisdom with us. All of our conversations, by the way, are relevant to today. So if you're interested in hearing some of our previous conversations, go to realjanine.com and check out episodes 114, 105, 88, 61, and the episode between 52 and 53. I wasn't good about numbering them in the earlier days. So just a little quick bio um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Dr. Seneff. She's a senior research scientist at MIT. And since 2008, she's focused her research interests on the impact, whoops, <laughs> on the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health, especially the role of glyphosate, one of my favorite topics. She has been intensely researching connections between toxins and COVID-19. So if you haven't heard her speak, I think you're in for a treat. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back. Hi. So great to be back with you. Oh, so where would you like to start? The topics, there's so much to talk about right now, and we could go in many directions. Um, let's see, you were on last in April, I believe. So... Uh-huh. Um, where has your research, where has your, where have your thoughts taken you since then? Yeah, it's sort of the same story all over again, right? This whole business that's happened over the last couple of years um, has just been crazy. And I think this whole uh, pandemic and um, the pressure to get vaccines and the uh, lack of interest in uh, alternative solutions or ways to treat COVID. Uh, it's just appalling how the pharma has just determined that this is a, um, an emergency situation because there's no way to treat this disease, which is not true. You know, it's just it's just amazing how much we've had to fight against pharma. I would say it's just been and I've been fighting against pharma for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just see more and more how how dangerous it is. The situation we're in today with the medical profession, the way it is um, and the way it's become. I mean, the doctors are being controlled by pharma to the extent that they almost don't dare to move step out of line. So they can't even try, you know, uh, experimental ideas for how to how to treat COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're really cobbled in this country. We don't have um, we do not have a healthy medical system, I think. And that's reflected in an unhealthy population. Of, right. You know. I agree. Now, Stephanie, is it true that uh, by law in the states, if there is uh, an effective treatment for a disease, a vaccine, and they're calling this a vaccine, but you and I know it's not a vaccine, and maybe you can explain in a minute here what the difference is. Um, but they can't approve for emer- emergency authorization a vaccine if there's treatment. 
Yeah, I think that's the problem, that there is this law that says if there is no way to treat some new disease, then it is okay for for some drug. It might even be just any drug, but I especially think so. a vaccine to be uh, administered. And, and apparently, I'm shocked to say even mandated, which I find really, really amazing that the schools can mandate that the children get it, something that's an experimental drug. Um, and especially one this different from anything we've seen before. People don't realize how different these so-called vaccines are from the vaccines that they're familiar with. So our population has developed a sort of trust, you know, that, oh, yeah, vaccine, no big deal. So they're willing to line up and, and subject themselves to this thing, which potentially, I think, has long-term negative consequences on their health. Mm-hmm. I, I do, too. And I've seen um, videos where uh, nurses have shown the insert that comes mm-hmm. with the vials and they're blank. There's nothing, oh. there's not, there's no information on them. That's very strange. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so where's the informed <laughs> consent? I mean, how- right. It's certainly uninformed <laughs> consent for sure. I especially know. because they're censoring anything that says anything bad about them, about these vaccines as reports come out. And people post them, they get taken down. I mean, it's just, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I, I'm so puzzled as to how how willingly the population has allowed this to happen. That's what surprises me. We need an um, uprising to fight mm-hmm. this. We really I do need so. the people to wake up and come together and fight back. Because there's more of us than there are of them. We have the power if we choose to use it. But most people are happy to just go about their business accept the situation, right? All the rules, mm-hmm. just go along with it. Mm-hmm. Don't make waves. And the doctors, of course, I mean, I think they're very straitjacketed because if they step out of line, they could lose their license. I mean, they, they feel threatened. They've, they've gotten to a point where they've been so controlled by pharma, you know, the rules of the game as far as how much, even just administering drugs, they, they, they have to follow the rules. And there's this, you know, Bible where you have to say, oh, well, they have this disease, so they get this drug with this particular prescription amount, you know, everything's formalized. Right. So well, look, very, at, look uh, at Paul Thomas in Portland, Oregon. I mean, he's I a know. pediatrician who he was not anti-vax. He was uh, wanted to do it differently, spread them out, not do as many and absolutely have informed consent. So the parents could make a choice. And right. they, they pulled his license. Well, of course, he wrote that book, which mm-hmm. an article as well. I mean, the article was amazing because it really showed, as I've seen from other studies as well, how differently the health, how different the health is between the kids that are fully vaccinated and the ones that are unvaccinated. It is so disturbing to me that uh, the vaccines are are obviously causing all these autoimmune issues and all these diseases that we see the kids are suffering from, and and yet you know the, the it would be very easy for the government to spend the money, find the people, do the study and show that the vaccines are causing harm, but they won't do it. They simply won't do it. And then if anybody does do it, they take them down. I mean, it's right. unbelievable. unbelievable. I know. And in his, in Paul's practice, I don't believe they were fully vaccinated. They, they had this, um, I forget what he called it, but you know, it was kind of a variable vaccine schedule. And right. still well, he had all kinds of different uh, patients. Some of them were completely on, un- it was a really nice study because he had a lot of patients. Yeah, it was over 8,000. Many of them were un- completely unvaccinated because their parents didn't want it. And other ones had a delayed schedule and other, other ones had certain vaccines missing certain other ones, you know, they were more flexible. So it was all kinds of different 
shapes and sizes of kids with various degrees of vaccination, which was a perfect situation for studying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the correlations. And it was very nice because the thing they looked at was when they came to the doctor for reasons other than just one of those sort of routine visits where you're up, you know, usually getting your vaccines, right? You've got to come every once in a while, get your weight. You're not sick. But mm-hmm. if you're sick and come to the doctor, then they, he, they looked at those situations where the kids came to the doctor because they were sick and they found so many more among the uh, vaccinated compared to the fully vaccinated compared to the unvaccinated so many more you know for things like ear infection and mm-hmm. nausea i mean some kind of infection even just a, um, a virus infection you know or cold i mean all kinds of different issues and fever just various sicknesses that these kids were suffering from or even asthma and eczema those kinds of things i mean they were coming to the doctor for all these problems that the uh unvaccinated kids were not getting or getting much lower numbers. The unvaccinated kids didn't have any um, uh, ADD or ADHD. Uh, and I think in the vaccine, they also uh, tracked hospitalization, you know, ER visits right. and hospitalizations, yeah. which were much higher for the vaccinated kids. Right. I mean, the vaccines are making the kids sick. And I, I, I just I don't know uh, how we cannot how the whole population can't know that by this point, you know, just given what's out there, what's been, because there've been enough studies published to show that, that it should be obvious by now. I, (laughs) that, that's, there's the key point. It should be obvious by now, but uh, I guess it isn't. You know, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of people just, they don't want to know. They want to stick their head in the sand um, you know, until you have a, a severely damaged uh, child from a vaccine uh, or some kind of an adverse event from it, um, everybody's willing to just go along with it. I know. It's amazing. I, I, I don't know what it will take. I, I keep hoping something catastrophic is going to happen that's so obvious that everyone gets the message, but I don't know what that would be with this situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. So, Stephanie, what's the difference between this mRNA shot and a, a normal vaccine? Is that something you can... It's hard to know where to begin because <laughs> there really aren't, it isn't, you know, anything like the other vaccines. It's just completely different. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing technology. I mean, they're really getting clever with their, what they can do with, with playing with life, really. And they have, they have taken, they've basically taken um, the genome. So there's this... You know, mRNA is the um, is the is comes from DNA normally, right? DNA to RNA to, to protein. That's sort of the code of life, mm-hmm. and the RNA contains this genetic code for the virus. All the proteins that the virus has, and there's this one protein, the spike protein, which is you know known to be a really important one for developing antibodies. So their thought was, well, let's just put the spike protein into the vaccine, nothing else, and not the protein, but the code to make it. That's mm-hmm. totally different. The code to make the protein, not the protein. And so they put this mRNA into the into the vaccine, and then it will go into the cell, and the cell will be ready to go. It, it has manipulated this mRNA in very special ways, first of all, to make it not be able to be broken down very easily. That's really important, because if you just injected RNA into your body, uh, there are enzymes that just break it down into pieces uh, immediately, so it won't stick around. The RNA will never make it into the cell to the point where it can make a protein. Mm-hmm. It won't work if you just inject the RNA. So they knew they had to do something clever with it. So they, they made these nanoparticles, um, lip, lipid nanoparticles. So they had to put they had these very special lipids that they had probably worked many years to figure out exactly what's the best one to use. 
which are these cationic lipids that are not normal at all, not natural, and known to be um, induce the cells to be very upset. So basically, it harms the cell membrane and it causes alarm bells, and the cell calls in the immune cell. So you want to you inject into the muscle something that to the muscle cell appears very toxic, and the cationic lipids are part of what makes that happen. They also put in this polyethylene glycol, which is a big complicated molecule that gloms together with the RNA and helps to protect it from those enzymes that are going to break it down. And then they engineer the RNA to be very sturdy by replacing all of its uridines with a different molecules called methyl pseudouridine. So they replaced all the uridines in the in the molecule. There's four things in in the in the RNA. Uh, those are the, you know, the four nucleotides that are the DNA code, and they have the corresponding RNA versions of those. But the uridines are modified, all of them, in these RNA sequences. And they also even modified the code because they replaced every chance they could get. They replaced something else with either a C or a G. They put in lots of extra Cs and Gs wherever they could without changing the code. And that results in, a, um, in it being much more eager to make protein. So that it's not at all the RNA that the virus makes. It's mm -hmm. a different one mm -hmm. in many ways. And it's, and it's inside these nanoparticles. And the nanoparticles sort of look like LDO particles because about the same size. They've got the lipid membrane, and so the cell knows how to take them up. Not just it doesn't come out through the come in through the ACE2 receptor the way the protein does. So it comes into the cell very differently uh -huh. through a completely different mechanism from the one that a virus would come come in through. Uh huh. Got it. And I did, was just uh, reading this week that an autopsy was done on someone who had died from the jab, and they found. Uh, the uh, mRNA or the spike protein mm -hmm. in every organ in the body. Whoa, I haven't heard that, but yeah. I, I'm not sure. Wow, that's really amazing. I do know they've done studies, and this has been come out just recently. I was really um, disturbed when I found out about this. This was after we'd already, Greg Nye, Dr. Greg Nye and I wrote a long paper on the RNA vaccine, and we did a deep search into the research literature to understand what it is and then to predict what could go wrong, which is really very scary, all the possibilities for things that could go wrong. But the we didn't know about this study. In fact, it was, um, it was not available. It was through a FOIA request, um, Freedom of Information Act, that mm -hmm. they actually obtained. I think it was people in Canada obtained this study from Pfizer. It was a Pfizer study okay. in which they traced... Um, and it was related to these vaccines. They were tracing the messenger RNA to see where it goes. And Greg and I had written about other studies we had found that had traced the messenger RNA. We were very disturbed by what we found. And this was consistent with what we found, except that they had more than what we knew about. So what, what Greg and I had seen was a study that showed that it starts at the muscle. And it's important to know where it goes. Like, does it just stay at the muscle? Or does it move? And, it, and also the mRNA, as well as the spike protein, what happens to both of them? Because the messenger RNA goes into the muscle cell, and then the muscle cell starts madly making spike protein because that's, it's compelled to do that because the RNA is set up to look like a human RNA ready to go. Mm -hmm. And it's massively making the spike protein. The muscle cell, of course, is very upset by that situation and calls in the immune cells. And that's crucial. You've got to get the immune cells involved. That's where they have adjuvants. A lot of vaccines have aluminum and mercury, you know, adjuvants that are going to help stir up the immune system because right. the virus won't, the vaccine won't work if you don't have something else there to uh, stimulate the immune cells to respond. Mm -hmm. And that's what this, you know, the cationic lipids are doing, serving that purpose in these RNA vaccines, as well as other things like the RNA itself, you know, is going to up upset the system as well. So there's various ways the cells are getting upset. The immune cells come in to, to help them out. And then the immune cells take up these messenger RNA particles. And then the immune cells 
Uh, they see a sufficiently serious situation that they hop into the lymph system. So they, you start seeing the, uh, the messenger RNA appearing in the lymph system shortly after the vaccination, mm-hmm. and it goes into the lymph nodes, and in fact, you can get swelling under the arms. You know, you get this um, a characteristic feature of breast cancer, actually, when women have sort of swollen lymph nodes mm-hmm. in the armpit, that, that they're encouraged to get that checked out for possible breast cancer. Um, mm-hmm. That happens. And then you also, then from there, in the lymph system, it goes into the, uh, basically, um, into the spleen. I and mean, that's what we had seen. Uh, the spleen had by far the highest level of any uh, of any of the organs that had been looked at in the study that Greg and I found, which was before uh, it was an mRNA technology. It wasn't this specific vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. It got into the spleen and then it got into the liver. So it was highest in the spleen and then next highest in the liver. And then it was also showing up everywhere else, like in the brain. I mean, it was clear there was some in the brain, but it was much smaller. But this study from the Pfizer, what it showed was also the spleen, just like we had seen. The spleen was the highest, mm-hmm. but the second highest was the ovaries. And right. that to me was very, very shocking. That was new information for me. I was really stunned to hear that. Uh, the ovaries and then also the adrenal glands. It was high in, in the, all three of those. Uh, very, very disturbing. So I think it's going into all the glands. And I don't know if they looked into things like the pituitary, gl- pituitary gland or the testes, you know, because I expect you would find it the thyroid gland, I think you would find it at higher levels in all the glands because mm-hmm. that's how they, they hook up with the uh, lymph system. So that makes sense, you know? Right. Well, there are a lot of reports of, and I know people who have talked about their, especially it seems more women than men. Um, well, obviously men don't have periods, but, <clears throat> you know, having the these side effects of women having their, who I just right. read, actually someone I know, she said uh, her period for two weeks, and that was after just a week of having it again, and, and it was really heavy, and, right. you know, there are more miscarriages. I'm seeing all of that. Lots of people have talked to me about irregular menstrual cycle, really heavy period, weird stuff coming out, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like it cleans out the ovarian lining, um, and uh, you know, or the uterine lining. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that that's connected to this attack of the ovaries. It just makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if this is at all about depopulation, which you know, ten years ago I would not have said this. I would have thought, oh, come on. But uh, more and more, I'm coming to the conclusion that this is really about depopulation and transhumanism and getting everybody, you know, this whole vaccine passport or whatever they want to call it is just the beginning of getting everyone hooked up into the into the 5G and um, being able to be tracked. And, you know, it, like China, if you're a good person, you get yeah. to have a bank account, you get to travel, according to the Chinese Communist Party, if you're a good person. And if you don't make waves, you get to do things. And right. um, otherwise, very appealing to them, right, to think that they and I suspect that we will slip slippery slope ourselves into that situation where people will accept it. And then people will be on uh, on. Un- un- unable, unwilling to break free because they're going to lose points and then they're going to lose um, privileges, right? Even Mm -hmm. privileges like being able to post on Facebook because you've been banned. Mm -hmm. I mean, those kinds of privileges, we're already getting used to the idea that, oh, well, you know, I I stepped out of line, right? Right. Now I can't do that anymore. And it's it's quite frightening. Yeah. And then, of course, being able to track everything as we're showing with the technology. Right. That I helped develop. I'm sorry to say, I, but I know I, you know, I had this. Uh, it popped into my head just a couple days ago that 
fluoride in the drinking water because you know fluoride uh, really affects people. And I don't think I ever lived anywhere where there was fluoride. Maybe that's why I question all this. But I don't know. But I, I just had this thought that uh, I don't know. I forget when, uh, what year, uh, you know, it started being put in drinking water. But to me, that seems kind of like the the very beginning mm-hmm. of trying to control people. It's hard to say. I mean, they had a problem with the fluoride because it was toxic. It was very clear it was toxic. And they were getting in trouble with the phosphate mines, actually, for the phosphate fertilizer. And And the fumes that were being released were killing the cows nearby. So it became very clear this stuff is toxic. So they had to figure out how to get rid of it. And the irony of it is oh, let's just distribute it across the entire population of the country, you know, small doses, and let's pretend that it's a good idea, that it'll help to keep the teeth from rotting. Yeah, I've often said, you know, if you want, if you really want it for your teeth, when you go to your dentist, have them paint it on your teeth. Don't ingest it and spread, you know, throughout your entire system where I I know know. it doesn't even, (laughs) where's common sense? I mean, well, it was convenient for them because they got rid of the fluoride problem at the, at the site where they were doing the phosphate fertilizer. I wonder how many of these things are related to, um, you know, getting, um, solving a problem of toxicity by pushing by, by, by a solution that makes pretends that it's not toxic. Right. Mm-hmm. It just changes the um, perception of it. Right. Well, how about glyphosate? I know <laughs> that is certainly true. I mean, wasn't that used to clean out um, water pipes? What was, I yes, forget. it was originally kept patented as a pipe cleaner. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, and they didn't, of course, know that it had herbicide herbicide action. That was just accidental that they discovered that. And uh, and then they thought, oh, this is a much better application. But I find it amazing that we aren't disturbed by the idea of putting poisons all over our food crops. You know, we should really be appreciating that that is a very bad idea. You know, just how could we think it was a good idea to do that? Well, I guess we didn't learn from DDT. I mean, I... <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> I was just telling you, I'm reading this book, Virus Mania, which I'm I'm really learning a lot. And and there, she's got pictures in there of people being sprayed with it, and they right. sprayed cows, and they they actually sprayed animals with it, and and sprayed people with it. I mean, who thought of this and shit? That looks horrible to us now. You know, that looks horrendous, and we're gonna look back on this time and and think the same thing, right? I think that people in the future are going to realize that we've poisoned ourselves almost beyond return with these all these chemicals we're putting on our food. And I hope there's going to be, I picture this beautiful future time when um, there's no question you have to grow your crops organically. And, you know, even renewable agriculture, you really pay attention to the soil, mm-hmm. keep it healthy. I think there's going to be a future time when that's just known. And I hope that it will be sustained over a long period i mean there's a lot of collective amnesia that happens where humans just start misbehaving all over again on something they already knew about i mean with the ddt it was so clear and rachel carson's message was so great and it it had impact you know it really did kind of really reduce the exposure to ddt it's still around of course because it takes it a long time to, to break down they're still using it in some places as well so it's not completely gone but we really uh responded to her um, outcry uh, on DDT, but we didn't generalize it. Well, and and it took a while. I mean, from what I was reading, she was 
vilified terribly, just like oh, a lot know. of the the doctors and nurses, healthcare professionals, scientists, lawyers who are speaking out about um, you know this this COVID shot and what's going mm-hmm. on, the lockdowns and and the masks and all of this. The people who are speaking out, I mean, you know, it's at the risk of you know if you're not retired. Um, it's at the risk of losing your job, your your income, ris- at the risk of your safety, like Mercola, who had to I take stuff. Uh, and that was just alternative treatments that he was talking I about. Know. He's always been very sensible. I feel like he's had a lot of really excellent health advice. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a very much a, a scientist, I think, at heart. He really is fascinated by by metabolism, and he knows a lot, and he has a lot of really excellent advice. Right, and... When he gets new information, he changes his mind. I've seen him do that. I know. You know? I love that about him. Yeah. He's just, he's on a journey to understand how metabolism works mm-hmm. and, um, and he'll make mistakes and then he'll admit he made a mistake. So that's pretty amazing. He's really, I think he's really an interesting person and he's so strong to be, you know, put up with what he's put up with in terms of the, um, they recognize him as a tremendous threat. And so they're really, really suppressing him his presence on the web. Well, he kept, I think he, he kept everything up when they were professionally uh, attacking him. But mm-hmm. then um, I think he got some pretty serious personal attacks. And, I know. I saw that. I yeah. saw that note where he said, I'm taking these things down and I, I can't imagine what it was. And he's being mum about it, but uh, gosh, you know, amazing, huh? It's, they can get even him. Huh? I know. And I mean, this is <laughs> this is supposed to be a free society where people are supposed to be able to speak and explore and question. I I just I don't understand what's happened to everyone. I watched a little video the other day of this guy. I think he was just using his phone or whatever, and he was outside. And I'm not sure what state it was, but the mask mandate had been lifted. Uh, for outside anyway. Mm-hmm. And there are all these people walking around with masks. And uh, and, yes. and he, he goes around and he's like, uh, you know, why are you still wearing your mask? And most people were just, oh, I don't know, I'm used to it. Or people were like, they had no, excuse me, but no fucking clue why they were. They just, <laughs> uh, they couldn't even say anything. They were like, that if they didn't wear their mask, they would be unsafe, right? People are really amazingly uh, able to respond to threats of, that make them fearful. I think they become very different. I think we're operating under, um, you know, a stage, a, a state of uh, intense fear. Uh, it's just incredible to me how much it has infiltrated our population. I think we've that, been conditioned to be fragile, to not to be, but to think we're fragile. I mean, otherwise, how would you accept 72 doses of vaccines by the time you're 18? I, I mean, know. Come on. <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it? It's just uh, hard to believe. I, um, and it's hard to believe how difficult it is to turn people around to get them to think the I right know. way, what I consider to be the right way about our health, which is really to focus on eating good food, you know, eating organic food, eating whole foods, uh, eating nutrient-dense foods, uh, getting plenty of dietary sulfur, getting out in the sunlight, walking barefoot on the beach. I mean, these are simple, simple things that you can do to sustain your health over over your lifespan, I feel. Right. Well, but instead of focusing on lifestyle, 
right? We've been trained to focus on the quick fix, the pharmaceutical pill, the pills, the drugs. Right. Yeah. And that's also very weird to me that we could actually think that these drugs are working. I just read an article this morning uh, by a woman whose son had uh, suffered from uh, akinesia, akinesia from uh, taking, um, it wasn't even an antipsychotic, it was just an anti, um, a tranquilizer. Okay. You know? Uh-huh. Uh, he was one of the people who have a, a rare condition of a, a, a broken cytochrome P450 enzymes, which apparently can make you very susceptible to akinesia. And what is that? That's it's, you know it, it was sort of a, it can't stop moving. It's an ag- it's a state of agitation that actually oh, makes okay. makes you go crazy. It oh makes God. you feel really really crazy. And um, uh-huh. a really, really serious problem. He he was just completely incapacitated by it. And she and the mother wrote this really, really. She did a really, and I don't, I don't have the link, but I, <laughs> I could find it, but I don't have it at the top of my head. But it was really an amazing story about her personal story with her son, and then her more general story about the uh, our lack of awareness and the and the uh, pharmaceuticals industry lack of willingness to make it, us be aware of this problem that can come up. And he hadn't even taken it for very long before he became incapacitated and he has not been able to fix the problem. He's been trying all kinds of things, but mm. unsuccessful. And, you know, we, we, uh, we jump into these drugs without realizing how dangerous they can be. And that, and that just shows you, you know, a pharma drug can do that sort of thing to you and it can be per- permanent. And I believe these messenger RNA vaccines can also, I think we're going to have permanent damage and in many cases, not showing up until long after the vaccine has been given. So um, this is what I feel from my analysis of that spike protein, because that spike protein is the toxic part of that virus. So that's becoming very clear. And it's been shown recently that vaccinated people end up with a spike protein in their blood. This was not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. The, the industry thought it would stay localized to the muscle. I think the industry knew it was going to go into the spleen because they had they were happy about that because the spleen is where um, the antibodies are produced. That whole process that goes into, it's a very fancy, complicated process that the immune system goes through where the initial immune cell, t- you know, the dendritic cells take up that messenger RNA. They make that, that prote- pro- uh, protein, the spike protein, they display it on their surface. And then other cells come in and respond to that protein that's being displayed. Mm-hmm. And then they call in other cells. I mean, they finally get these B cells and T cells and they, you have these specialized cells that can adapt their antibodies to match. And those cells have to be inspired to do that. And you need, you need to have a very strong immune reaction in order for that to happen. And you get that in these germinal centers in the spleen. That's where the best antibodies are going to be produced, the most, the biggest, you know, in, this, in those germinal centers in the spleen. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly where that vaccine ends up. But those cells are going to be anywhere that 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 message RNA goes. It's going to be a place where spike protein is being made. And the spike protein doesn't necessarily stay stuck to the cell surface. That's what they're finding. It cuts loose. It's probably being cut loose by enzymes. And it's getting into the general circulation. And that's been shown. The spike protein has been shown in multiple studies. They've even just injected spike protein into rat tails into the tail of a rat. And they've shown that the rat gets vascular issues, you know, trouble with its blood. And it's very, very interesting science because the spike protein binds to the ACE2 receptors. Those are, that's how it gets in. 
And then normally the, the, the virus, actually the spike protein changes its shape after it attaches to the receptor hmm. into sort of a spear that can go into the membrane. And that's how it, the virus enters the cell. Oh. Well, they, they've engineered the spike protein in the, MS, in the vi- vaccines, not just the messenger RNA vaccines, but other vaccines as well. They've engineered it to have a, a, a change in its, in its sequence. It has a couple of prolines side by side that have replaced what used to be there in the natural form of the, of the, of the protein. And those two prolines are critical because they're at the place where it would normally fuse with the membrane. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called the fusion domain of the, of the protein. Okay. So they mess it up so it can't fuse with the membrane. It won't form the spear. It won't fuse with the membrane. It stays open and it stays exposed, which they love because they're totally focused on getting these antibodies to happen. So it can't sort of protect itself from the exposure to the, um, to the immune cells so they can make antibodies ma- that match. So they want it to stay open. But that means it won't it won't go into the membrane because it can't fold the right way to do that. So it stays stuck on that ACE2 receptor. And then apparently I was reading an article just recently that looks like that the ACE2 receptor gets broken off together with the spike protein, uh, again, through enzymatic action. So it ends up th- taking the ACE2 receptor away, which makes which disactivates it. It ties it up and disactivates it. So these ACE2s. Uh, get suppressed. And that's been shown in multiple studies that the spike protein suppresses the ACE2 uh, protein, which actually causes, it, it, that studies have shown in the, in the lungs, it causes uh, pulmonary hypertension. In the heart, it causes um, arrhythmias and heart failure. And, you know, if, uh, myocarditis, which they're finding as a response to these vaccines, even in young men. Oh, t- every day, every day I'm reading more yeah. and more now that they're vaccinated, they're- I don't want to say the word vaccinate. Now that they're giving the jab to teenagers, especially males are, yes. are just, I mean, the list, it just keeps coming in daily of, of these poor kids with myocarditis. Exactly. And that, and I see how that's happening. It's through these uh, spike proteins that are getting loose from the site where they're being made. They're getting into the circulation. They're going to the heart. They're binding to the ACE2 receptors and they're disabling them. And that would cause the myocarditis. And it can also cause serious problems in the brain as well. The, the brain, the heart has lots of ACE2 receptors and they're getting messed up by the spike protein. The same thing is happening in the brain. So you've got various kinds of brain disorders as well from that inflammation in the brain. So Stephanie, do you see do you see that these the especially well talk about the teenagers, but anybody who's having um, these reactions the with uh, you know heart inflammation, brain inflammation, the, the, the neurological uh, damage, do you see that being able to be reversed or are these people damaged for life? We don't know. We don't know what kind of permanent damage might be left behind, you know, because uh, when the heart gets damaged, you know, when people have a heart attack, they can end up with permanent damage. And we don't know whether this could cause it or not. I'm also worried about the aspect of the spike protein being a prion protein. There have been papers that have been written about that, that it has the characteristics of a prion protein. Would you explain what that is for people, please? Yes, so people probably know about mad cow, which was this mm-hmm. disease that appeared in the cows starting in the UK. Um, that's a prion disease. It's really, really a fascinating. It's fascinating in terms of biology because this is a protein misfolding disease, and the infective agent is just a protein. It doesn't have to be a virus or any kind of a live organism. It's just a protein. Okay. And that means that the spike protein by itself, if it turns out it is a spike uh, prion, and it looks like it is from its characteristics, um, then it can it can misfold 
and cause other proteins to misfold. Like, so for example, alpha-synuclein or amyloid beta, these are misfolded proteins associated with serious neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and uh, ALS, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Parkinson's disease, all of these diseases. And there's one called CKD, Kurzfeldt-Jakob disease, which oh, is right. a human version of mad cow. Mm. All of those diseases are related to different proteins that are misfolding. And their misfolding is created through a seed from a protein source that's also misfolding. So that's why the prions, these, pro these proteins depend upon prion proteins to be able to trigger their misfolding, which causes the disease. Mm. And so the spike protein has, I think, tremendous potential to increase the risk. And I think it won't happen right away because a lot of uh, Parkinson's, I, I've read a lot about Parkinson's. It's quite fascinating. It's very clear that it now that it starts in the, you know, you can get it, you can get a prion protein through the gut from your microbes in your gut can produce these prion proteins that then travel to the spleen. And it's in the spleen where the misfolding starts and, and, and they draw in alpha-synuclein and get this mess of misfolded proteins that have been seeded by a, a spy, a, some kind of a, of a um, source external protein that misfolds. So that's what this prion protein is, a potential, uh, can trigger the alpha-synuclein to misfold. And then the, um, the cells in the spleen, when they see this, they package up these misfolded proteins into these uh, lipid you know, particles that, that are called exosomes. They release them as exosomes in circulation. My chicken is decided. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> She's decided to go over there to, to, to fly up on my computer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I would have been good if you had video. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, because she's so cute. Uh, just, so everyone, uh, I'll explain. I was explaining to Stephanie earlier. I have this little Milfler duckle banty chicken that has decided to become a house pet. Um, she sleeps outside, but she wants to come in. And when I'm outside, if I put her out, she comes running to me and wants me to pick her up and bring her in. And so, yes, a, li a little levity here. <laughs> <laughs> it's needed at this time because this is really serious stuff. Oh, and fact, my God. Uh, uh, Luc Montagnier, the uh, the Nobel Prize winner, it was uh, it, he was interviewed uh, this, this morning. I watched an interview with him and he actually specifically mentioned this idea of the prion connection of the spike protein as well. So he also sees this possibility. And other people have mentioned this idea of it being a spike pro a, a, a prion protein, the spike protein. Very, very serious because, and I think especially because they manipulate it not to be able to go into the membrane because prion proteins actually normally go into the membrane. They form alpha helices and go into the membrane. But when they uh, misfold, they form beta sheets. It's a different structure that stays in the cytoplasm. So I think that the prion protein with those two prolines in it is going to be more susceptible to misfolding in that the spike protein with those two prolines is going to be more susceptible to misfolding as a prion protein than the original spike protein in the virus. It is my suspicion. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, you know, a lot of stuff on the prions. I've been reading lots of prion papers lately. They're really fascinating. But it starts in the, in the spleen with the Parkinson's. And then it, and then it travels those, those X, uh, those exosomes travel along the vagus nerve and they go to the brainstem nuclei. And, you know, that, that's oh. where um, they mess up the neurons there. They start making them get misfolding of their proteins. It's just like a crystal spreading, you know, and it um, can really mess up the neurons in the brainstem nuclei. And, the, um, and then this can lead to things like Parkinson's disease. Okay, so now, Stephanie, what you're talking about sounds to me 
like something that isn't probably going to happen right away. It might, but, but we're, but we're talking about long-term effects. I mean, I think a lot of people, they get their jabs and they're, they feel like hot, you know, they didn't have much of a a reaction and um, they feel like they're okay. And, you know, they're going to be fine, but Mm. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is what I'm worried about is whether down the road we're just going to start to see a rise and people getting these things younger and younger. Parkinson's showing up and people are 45 years old, you know, and, and then more and more Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and ALS and all these diseases going up and we won't know why and we won't connect it to the vaccines because we never do, right? It's always something else. It's not the vaccine. Right. Well, that's isn't that kind of what uh, Dr. Lee Merritt calls a binary weapon? <laughs> because you yeah. can't connect it to right. the And the same the thing with infertility. You know, if it turns out that we start to see lots of people, more people, and we already have a major problem with infertility. And I wrote about about um, reproductive issues as one chapter in my book on glyphosate, because mm-hmm. glyphosate's a major player, in, I think, in the issues we're having with infertility today. Both female and male infertility, I think, are being affected by glyphosate. Mm-hmm. But I think these vaccines, you know, if it turns out that this whole business of messing up, going into the ovaries and messing up the cycles, you know, whether that has long-term consequences of uh, causing infertility, we absolutely do not know. And we won't know, you know, and if people start having more trouble having kids, again, oh, it's not the vaccine, it must be something else, right? Right. Well, I did read, uh, I can't remember now whether I read or listened to, but it was uh, a, a fertility clinic uh, and what they were talking about was uh, couples who were who were there for um, you know for fertility issues, and they had sperm and uh, egg samples from the couples. Mm-hmm. And after vaccine, uh, you're you're starting to mm-hmm. get me to say vaccination. You got to come up with a different <laughs> word, girl, because <laughs> it's the not jab. a vaccine. <laughs> uh, but after they both got the jab, the um, the sperm was immodal. It pretty much, and the eggs were pretty much dead. Really? Oh yeah. my God! Oh, I didn't hear about that. I don't know about that. That would be interesting if you can point me each of that. Mm-hmm. I'll try to. That's yeah. amazing. I know. Yeah, it's very frightening. It, it is. Uh, well, we just don't know. We're, we're, we live in exciting times, and it's sort of it's always fun to find, wake up the next day and see what else is going on because everything is is just over the top and there's just more of it every day so we don't know where this is headed but right. i think we need an uprising from the population people need to organize and they need to rise up and we need to fight this uh with all we've got i think i do too um i did a a, a conversation with um jack travis uh, he's an md and uh he lives part part of the time in Australia and part of the time in California. And he said, <laughs> said when he came back to the California <laughs> last March, he said, I smelled a rat. Huh? It's a- and he has been working with um, a group in um, uh, Marin County and they, they did a draft of what informed consent is. And uh, there were nine points of what, it, you know, what informed consent should be. Mm-hmm. And I, I, um, I worked with it a little bit and added to it, which I guess they liked. And I thought, you know, it would be really good to print this up. And um, this is, you know, something like this is what informed consent looks like and put it on uh, car windows, you know, under, yeah. under the windshield wipers or these pop up vaccine things where people are standing in line, hand them out. Right. Um, yeah. Uh. 
yeah, you know. it's really quite uh, interesting that, uh, and the polarization that's going on right now. I know, between, it's sad. It really yeah. is. It feels They're like. They're afraid to bring it up because they don't know how people are going to respond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say if someone has had like one shot and they're, you know, don't get the second one. Especially if they have a bad reaction, right? Right. I know. I mean, a lot of people have a reaction and they're being told that that means it's working. So they go and get the second one and then they really, you know. Yes, it's usually worse with the second one. And the other thing that I should bring up is that I think the vaccines are going to accelerate the rate at which these new variants appear that are resistant to the vaccine. And, um, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, they're going to come around and say, "Okay, guys, you got to do this again, right?" At some point, and maybe sooner rather than later. They're already to... talking about the fall. I know, uh, and I think I, I can see I can see like every six months you're going to have to have, and and it's just going to be putting more and more poison into your body. Yeah, and there's another paper that I just read this morning. Uh, there's lots of new stuff coming out. It's very mm-hmm. exciting, you know, to wake up and find another paper to read, and they're very, they're all very uh, interesting. So people are working hard to figure things out. But this one this morning was really uh, amazing to me because they talked, to, they looked at the um, immune. They can look at certain parameters of the immune system in response to the to the vaccine, and so they did a nice study, and they found that uh, people who had been vaccinated had a suppressed expression of something called interferon alpha. Okay. And this is something that Judy Mikovits talks a lot about, inter- interferon alpha deficiency. And that's what this vaccine is inducing. This oh, and what does that mean? Inducing. Interferon alpha is, is something that is one of the various, the immune system produces all these different you know, things that have different effects on different kinds of organisms. But interferon alpha in particular is an important factor to fight um, herpes va- virus and uh, varicella virus, which is the shingles. and right. also in um, chicken pox, right? I know people are complaining of that's one of the side effects is shingles. It is. That's right. And then also the uh, uh, retroviruses. Mm-hmm. Judy Mikovits is, uh, promotes interferon alpha as a, as a treatment for people who are having problems, you know, like um, chronic fatigue syndrome, which she thinks is due to these uh, retroviruses. You know, she, she's, uh-huh. she has this whole space. But basically, suppressing interferon alpha is really bad. And uh, we are seeing, there's like 2,500 cases or more. I think it's more than 2,500 cases of um, uh, Bell's palsy. Yes. Uh, palsy, uh, in response to these vaccines. And, and you mentioned shingles as well. That's also showing up in a number of cases on, on in the virus database, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting mm-hmm, System. Mm-hmm. And Bell's palsy is caused by these herpes viruses and the varicella virus. So it's showing that that's consistent with what these people found when they looked to see that it was, they said it was disturbing the innate immune system. And I think it's also suppressing mucosal immunity. So there is, you know, the, the part of the immune system that is in the mucosal surfaces where viruses get in normally, it gets suppressed by mm-hmm. the vaccine. Sort mm-hmm. of like the immune system has sort of a total capacity of a certain amount. And when you bring a bunch of the immune cells over in this direction and making all these antibodies, you're losing ground in the other part of the immune system. It's becoming weaker. I've always thought that the um, every vaccine weakens your innate immunity, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The right. innate immunity can conquer everything. So that's what you don't want to weaken that. that ha- you know, it's a generalist. It can fight everything. And so even they suggested in that same paper that talked about the interferon alpha, they suggested that it would weaken the ability of the flu shot to do its job. So they think the flu vaccines will be less effective on people who've been vaccinated with COVID. 
Well, and now though they're saying they they're saying that innate immunity is not as good as immunity from the shot, which That's is really bullshit. <laughs> well, you know what they mean by not as good, I suspect, because I remember seeing another paper that talked about incredibly greater numbers of antibodies produced, much much stronger antibody response to the vaccine compared to people who just got sick. And what they're missing when they say that is that antibodies are not the whole story for how you fight a virus. Right. And when people get sick with something, people even who can't make antibodies still have immunity after they catch the measles. Right. So we don't understand the immune system. It's really, really complicated. I've read a lot about it, and I certainly don't understand it. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff there that takes a really long time to to, you know, to, to figure out because there's so many different pathways that have different responsibilities and different ways to skin the cat, you know, so, mm -hmm. but the um, innate immune system is the powerful part. And, and I wrote in my chapter about glyphosate and the immune system, I showed that glyphosate would mess up innate immunity, which would require your, your immune system to uh, turn on the adaptive immune system much earlier than, you know, if you have a really healthy innate immune system, you never get around to turning on the adaptive immune system. You don't need it. Right. And it's the adaptive immune system that's going to end up eventually producing those antibodies. Antibodies, I think, are a last resort. Right. That's my understanding. Because you're, by you're bypassing the natural killer cells and... You yeah, know. all those guys that are really powerful, the, the dendritic cells and the, and the macrophages, you know, they can eat up those viruses. I mean, if they're healthy, they can clear the viruses without a problem, even perhaps without even any symptoms. Mm -hmm. But when your immune system's weak, then you get sick and then you get all these cascades of effects and the, and the inflammation. It's actually the immune system's overreactivity that's what's causing people to die from COVID. It's not the virus that's killing them. It's right. the overzealous immune response. Say that again, please, because that is important. Yeah, it's the overzealous immune response to the virus. And that's the adaptive immune response to the virus is what's killing people with this COVID-19. And I think it's because their innate immunity has been weakened by toxic chemical exposures. And I'm singling out glyphosate as a major player in that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that uh, your, your innate immunity uh, can generalize to many variants, many other things, whereas this mRNA shot is variant specific. So it can't generalize. And that's why Absolutely. you need constant shots. Right. I mean, the shot is extremely specific. It's not even just specific to SARS-CoV-2. It's specific to a particular sequence of that spike protein. Mm. And that's why the virus is going to mutate its way out of a jam, because the, I think it's very worrisome that we're um, immunizing people who have a compromised immune system, you know, because people who are on, have cancer, they're taking cancer therapy, which is immune suppressive. So they have a very weak immune system. They've already shown in studies that m many of them don't even develop antibodies in response to this vaccine. It doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. But the danger is the ones who do, because when they develop those antibodies, and then they get sick with COVID, but their immune system is so weak, the antibodies aren't able to help them to rescue them from the disease. The virus still keeps on multiplying because their, their immune system is so weak. Okay. Even the antibodies aren't enough for them to be able to conquer it. Then the virus has an opportunity to learn about those antibodies and how to mutate itself so that it doesn't, so the antibodies don't work anymore. So what happens is that one person can cause major mutations in the virus that they're infected with so that by the time they die, there's a new strain that they've produced that's extremely robust against those antibodies. Mm -hmm. And that's been shown to happen, actually. There was this really, I, I, we wrote about it in our paper, Greg Nye and I, in our paper on the mRNA vaccines, because that was a very nice example of a person who was before the vaccines. This guy, this was a person who had cancer, was taking immune therapy, 
uh, immune suppressing therapy, mm-hmm. caught COVID, and he was in the hospital for over 100 days. Mm. And they treated him with antibodies from people who had recovered from COVID. So that's oh. very similar to getting an injection that forces your body to make antibodies. He got antibodies, but they weren't his own. They were from somebody else. But his virus, the version of the virus that was in his body, mutated to the point that when he died, now, they checked the version and it had many, many mutations in the spike protein and it was resistant to those antibodies. So this is what's going to happen. I think we're encouraging the, the virus to mutate more rapidly by immunizing people who don't have an immune system that can actually conquer the virus. And we're going to end up with accelerated rate of new, new strains that don't work. So all these people are going to have this shot that's useless, basically useless, because there's no longer the spike protein is going to the original version is going to disappear because the other versions are much uh, hardier, especially when everybody's been vaccinated. You know, the ones that are that are able to resist the vaccine antibodies are the ones that are going to win out over the other ones. And the original spike is going to disappear from the population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me uh, danger, ridiculous, dangerous to give these shots to people who have already developed natural immunity. No, that's just absolutely ridiculous. The natural immunity is much better, much longer lasting, and there's a danger of them. They typically have more intense uh, reactions to the shot, adverse Mm -hmm. reactions to the shot. There's absolutely no reason why they should be getting the vaccine. Wow. Well, this has been very enlightening, my dear. You've really... um given me a lot of new information and I'm constantly researching. So that's great. So, okay, let's, let's talk since we are supposed to be talking about your book too. (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten so obsessed on these vaccines that I know. So toxic legacy, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, why the listeners would, you know, should read it, would want to read it. Um, Yes. Yeah. Well, so it's all about glyphosate. That's really the focus. And it's also uh, specifically about my theory uh, of exactly how glyphosate is so toxic to us and to all of life on Earth. And uh, I first argue that that's the case, even though we've been told otherwise. And increasingly lately, actually, a lot of evidence is coming out. Lots of papers are, are showing up very in the last couple of years showing that levels of glyphosate below regulatory limits are causing disease in many different species of animals. Um, so people are becoming, researchers are becoming aware this chemical is not uh, harmless the way we've been told all these years. It's been on the market since 1974, and it was it's, it's uh, accelerated use after around 2000 when they introduced these GMO Roundup Ready crops that have resistance to glyphosate. It's the most common herbicide on the planet. And the United States uses substantially more per person than any other country. We, we have 4% of the world's population and we consume 20% of the world's glyphosate. So we're getting wow. poisoned by it a lot more than other people are. And it shows in our very bad health record. We have tremendous health care costs. We can't get, seem to get ahead of the, you know, we haven't figured out how to pay for health care in this country. And it's really because I think health care is extremely expensive because so many people are sick. Mm-hmm. So I argue that glyphosate is a major player in diabetes, obesity, autism, Alzheimer's, all kinds of different gut problems, liver disease, kidney disease, many different cancers. I mean, there's a huge list of diseases that are going up dramatically in step with the dramatic rise in glyphosate usage. And people say, oh, correlation doesn't mean causation. But you have to ask the question. If all these diseases are going up, something is causing that to happen. And what right. is it? 
and I can't find something else. So I think it's a major player. It's not the only chemical, obviously. We have many other things happening today that weren't happening Mm-hmm. 50 years ago. So it's a complicated story. There's lots of synergistic effects of different toxic chemicals and whatnot. But we are living in a toxic soup. And I think glyphosate is a much bigger player uh, in the destruction of our health and in the destruction of the ecosystem. I think when you start to look at the bee colony collapse syndrome mm-hmm. and the, the bats with their fungus disease and the butterflies that are disappearing, I can identify how glyphosate is a major player in all of those insects. Actually, the insects that like the spiders that um, protect that help there they form a very um the bats and the spiders both are very useful to help clear insects so you get much more problem with um, insect having to use insecticides because the um, the animals that the normal predators are dying out because they're being poisoned by glyphosate so this is making our problem with insects eating our plants much bigger because of the use of the herbicide so we really don't win with these toxic chemicals we just keep on having to escalate it's a war going on between us and the microbes and the microbes are, are winning us and the and the weeds as well and the weeds are winning so um i think we need to uh change the way we do agriculture we need to go back to the small family farms and i talk about that in my book i have a, a last chapter the book is quite depressing <laughs> and <laughs> the science is fascinating i really love biology and i feel like i've dug into that to understand exactly how glyphosate um, the mechanism of toxicity that it um that it has, which is unique to glyphosate, that has to do with um, acting as an um, analog of, of the amino acid glycine. And mm-hmm. I think that's crucial, and it causes disruption of so many things that can then explain all those diseases. So I go into that in the book. The last chapter is hopeful. It sort of says, what's our way forward? And, you know, organic, regenerative agriculture, small farms, um, stop using chemicals on our, on our food crops. I think that's the central message. Mm-hmm. Well, if your soil's healthy, you don't need it. You don't need them. Well, that's right. And if your plants are healthy too, you know the, the actual the, the plants that um, that plants make a complicated molecules to defend themselves against predators that are coming out of the shikimate pathway, which glyphosate disrupts. So they're mm-hmm. basically weakened in their ability to fight off insects when they're exposed to glyphosate, and also to fight off drought. You know, they and water. Uh, yeah, drought, um, heat, excess heat. The, all these things they become more sensitive to them. Uh, when they're exposed to glyphosate. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so a problem with climate change, you know, we've got a lot of issues with drought and excess right, heat, and, right. and that's getting um, compounded with exposure to glyphosate that's weakening the plant's ability. So it's weakening our abilities to fight off our, our um, pathogens, and it's weakening the plant's abilities as well. So we're getting a lot of fungus problems. We have to use fungicides. Glyphosate increases the, um, the risk of fungus infection in both animals and plants. Mm. So it's... Amazing story. Um, I think glyphosate needs to be banned worldwide, and then we need to figure out how to get rid of it, which will take time as well, because it can stick around for a long time. Right. Just like you. Well, Stephanie, um, speaking of getting rid of it, is it, can it be chelated out of the body? Well, people are trying that. Certainly, that's one thing that people are recommending. They're recommending, um, in particular, um, fulvic acid and humic acid which are these complex organic molecules from the soils i might not quite call that chelating but they do bind to glyphosate the hope is they would bind to the glyphosate and remove it another possibility is if you can get microbes growing in your gut that are able to break it down because there Mm -hmm. are a few um, microbes that can break fully break down glyphosate which is great because that actually gets rid of it rather than just you know putting it out 
for somebody else to get exposed yeah, to. Right. Yeah, well, so. I the humic fulvic acid. I think I've been taking. Um, I I've been taking. It's a highly concentrated uh, uh, supplement, and I'm also partially because I I eat organic as much as I can. But I know you know that's that some of what I eat isn't. Because if the magnetic aspect of these shots is true, mm-hmm. um, then uh, I think that, you know, the humic fulvic acid uh, helps pull out uh, metals, heavy metals. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm hoping too that that will, especially with the idea, the transmission of the, I, you know, it's still a theory, but the transmission mm-hmm. of the spike protein from those who have had the shot to those who haven't. Right, There's a the lot shedding, of reports yes. that, yeah. Um, That's possible, I th- think. Those that, exosomes could get out through the lungs or through the skin. Right. And so um, even for those of us who absolutely will not get the shot, you know, it's hard not to be around people who have. And so I think the humic fulvic acid has a lot of benefits in mm-hmm. um that's one thing that I'm definitely, I'm personally doing every day. Yeah, that's great. Well, anything else that um, you want to end with or that you haven't had a chance to share with us? There's been a lot. Uh, people yeah. may want to even listen to this twice because it's <laughs> a lot yes. of information here. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating. And I'm learning more about, you know, everything every day, glyphosate and the vaccines and the uh, the shots <laughs> and uh, all the other stuff, the COVID uh, disease. I'm learning so much. And uh, it's been quite a uh, quite a year for me. A lot of uh, I feel like I'm back in school. Um <laughs> That has been. I love the um, the metab. I love learning about biology, and it's certainly well motivated. When you have something crisis like this going on, it inspires you to learn harder. So yeah, absolutely. I'm on a, I'm on a journey. Um, I'm dying to see what happens next. You know, it's kind of like we're living inside a soap opera. So, <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> That's true. You can either look at it as a dystopian nightmare or a, a bad soap opera. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's, it's exciting times to be alive. And I think that we uh, individuals need to be empowered. We need to recognize that we have power. We have power in our consumer choices, too. Just yes. either buying certified organic food is very important. I would encourage anybody listening to do that. And, um, and then try to speak up with your friends and your family to help them become educated on what's going on. Because it's a very, we're in a very serious time where lots of really horrible things could happen if we don't... Uh, change our course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephanie, I'd love to uh, have you back on when, uh, I don't know, month, couple months, whatever, when you've got another batch of information to share. <laughs> and because um, I know, I know you love researching. I love researching too. And, um, you know, and as you learn things, you, you want to share and you want right. to get the information out. So um, I, I'm always always want to be at the top of your list for uh, getting helping to get information out yes thank you so much it's been always my pleasure to talk to you yes thank you it's it's been a delight and um oh my goodness i didn't did i do my outtake here no well i'm just gonna wing it (laughs) (laughs) i usually have a little something written down and i guess i didn't do that thank you so much Dr. Stephanie Seneff for just who you are, your your brilliant mind, your desire to learn, uh, to grow, to understand, and to share it with all of us. 
Um, the podcast website, remember, is realjanine.com, and Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. You can always subscribe by searching on Keeping It Real with Janine. Also, um, my videos now, uh, since I interviewed Dr. Susharit Bhakti, uh, I could not, I can't upload onto YouTube anymore, so I'm using BitChute for the video slideshows, if you like that uh, better than than uh, just listening to the mp3 and um, on the website you can either listen th- from there or you can download too so that you can listen while you're driving uh, which is when I like to listen to podcasts so thank you so much um, and you know this is something that is so important to share with your friends and family and so please get the word out share uh, and hopefully hopefully we can turn this around as people become more educated and understand truly what the dangers are. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Take care and be well.